incoming transmission from Podfleet Command on screen. Welcome to the third episode of Trek Geeks Picard Live. My name is Barry DeFord, and I will be your inner light of remembrance while we look back at what was episode three of Star Trek Picard titled The End is the Beginning. And if the internet drops, I do have my emergency broadcast hologram to help. And it's a new model, too, by the name of Mr. Dan Garcia. So thank you very, very much, Dan, for being my new EBH. And uh, we will be talking a fair bit about uh, medical and other types of holograms coming up. So this broadcast is being streamed live on YouTube and on Facebook. And Picard Live is proud to have Fansets as our presenting sponsor. Well, I'm going to start right off the bat here, folks. Spoiler alert. If you have not seen the episode of Star Trek Picard, episode three, the end is the beginning, you have to stop because we don't uh, we can't, don't have time to go through every single thing for you. And trust me, Sir Pat does a far better job than myself. So if you have not seen the episode of uh, Star Trek Picard, episode three, do not continue. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So I think it's time we get started with my, well, becoming my favorite uh, piece of this show, which is the Picard Maneuver. Now, I have tried doing the Picard Maneuver before, but I think Dan does a better job of putting up the title card like so. See, he does a way better job than me on that one. And if you're listening, just imagine the beautiful nebula. I don't know what nebula that is that Bill chose, but it is a good one. And you caught me rubbing my eye. Um, there have been talks of me being something of a Ron Burgundy on this one, but I will guarantee I am not wearing Starfleet regulation trousers. I'm wearing jeans. But that's okay. I actually think I might be starting a brand new trend with a nice 1960s TOS uniform. And that will uh, make more sense a little bit later on for you fine viewers who are watching, which, which is quite nice to see the folk here today. So on our Picard Maneuver, we are going to be looking at new information, uh, callbacks, and as Dan would say, the oblique moments. And that's Dan Davidson, who I'm mentioning in that respect. And I will briefly summarize the episode, noting points that stood out, pose a few questions for you to comment on, and get a sense for the overall episode. Now, you will notice I did not post comments this time around, mainly because I'm going to see if we can spin that around and instead see if you want to engage with yours truly by uh, hitting me up on Twitter with some questions and we can maybe even put together a bit of a brain trust on what we want to talk about coming forward. So starting up with our first piece to the Picard maneuver, I want to talk about Picard and Rafi. I believe that they are going to be putting a very interesting um, very interesting way that the two of them are going to be talking and, and dealing with one another. I feel like there's a lot of a mental health trust uh, between the two of them, something that I do have to say, we are going to explore how to mend a relationship, how to mend a friendship. And I think that's really cool. So we start off with the Mars flashback, the explosion. Um, we've got the idea that um, basically there's there's nothing really that anyone could have done and we get a recap that uh, this is just the problem that mars has been destroyed and we go 14 years back to picard and raffi talking about what was literally happening at that point and picard says something interesting where he says that nobody is thinking everyone is just reacting i can't help but feel that 
that does actually seem like the case in a lot of emergency situations that have happened in the past, that uh, it's hard to think and it's much easier to just simply react. There's a piece forward where he says that Starfleet would give into intolerance and fear and Rafi was expecting to see some last desperate solution, which unfortunately was his resignation. Now, I am interested that uh, they they seem to probably have purged Rafi after that had happened, and I wonder if any other Picard potential loyalists might have been purged from Starfleet as well. Um, I'm interested to see what Riker's point in all this, and I'm still wondering, is Jordy dead? That's a, a big fear of mine. If he was on Utopia Planitia, that could uh, that could really cause some, some, some issues for uh, getting LeVar Burton on the show, which I would like to see. But the other piece of that is the inside job, the 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 connection that Rafi is someone with talents that she can see things other don't others don't. I wonder if she might have something akin to like a Betazoid em- empathy or something like that, or maybe it's just a natural gritty talent. So it was really good to see the um, the the interplay be- between Picard and Rafi and get an idea for who they are as people. There's things moving around behind me, as you guys can see. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, I have a bit of a backdrop setup that I try to make look prettier than it actually is, but uh, here we are. So our next piece is talking about Rio and his holograms and his big old tough guy persona. I found Rio to be an interesting character. Um, and the idea of smelling like Starfleet, I think, is kind of neat, too. Picard picks him out. But uh, I'm thinking that uh, I think those little trees that you can get in your car, I think we could probably make a fair amount of money by getting a Starfleet-scented or some kind of maybe Yankee candle could do something along those lines. And uh, I would I would buy that for a dollar for sure. But uh, more to uh, more to that, there's a there's a feel to that ship that's kind of funny looking. I don't know what to think of Rafi's ship. Uh, it's interesting, but uh, I guess we'll we'll see kind of what it can do. I feel like there's more to the story. Uh, it feels very Discovery esque actually, and I know that uh, might might irk a few people in terms of the shuttle pods that they're using. And yeah, I know. Um, I don't really have much to say about the idea that. Uh, there are some issues with the producing there, and uh, we'll we'll have to see. And maybe we can talk about that a bit later. The transporter that uh, Picard uses to get onto the ship really does feel like a cargo one. Uh, you can see it; uh, it has its emitter on the side, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, basically, I like to think of if uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation was on the uh, was was taking place, uh, as Bill Smith would say, on the uh, the Hilton of space. Then uh, we've been using the guest elevators. Now it's time for uh, us to use the cargo elevator and kind of get behind the scene. Um, maybe the veneer is lost a little bit and we're peeking behind where the pipes are. The Rio is introduced interestingly as well. He's got this shard in his shoulder and his skittish EMH is there to help him out. Um, I did hear that I think that Rio ordered uh, in Spanish as well, which I think was kind of interesting um, in that respect. But overall, the tough guy persona um, is a little bit silly, I think, in terms of how they're they're showing Rio to begin with, um, to leave the dermal re- regen- regenerator alone and just put on a shirt with a big hole in your arm. I don't know how I'd necessarily feel about that. Um, maybe there's a better reason than just it would give him a wicked scar, but uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of culture or subgroup of humans who believe that uh, more purer forms of healing are better or something like that, but I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be anything. 
I'm also going to do a little bit of research on the uh, freighter Ibn Majid. I think that's an interesting name, and I don't think it's by accident. And there's also a book by Miguel de Unamuno called The Tragic Sense of Life. And I'm wondering, again, if we're going to be seeing a little bit more between Rios and, um, and Picard. Well, moving next to the next piece of the Picard maneuver, we've got some information on Hugh and Soji. They start definitely building a relationship. And they're on the artifact, and it seems Hugh is amused um, that uh, Soji would be speaking to one of the unnamed. I do find also, and this is something I will talk about more if we have time in the supplementals, is Hugh still walks like a Borg. If you watch John DeLarco walking down the hallway, I find Borg sort of have this kind of floppy foot syndrome you notice and i think it's just for the fact that they're basically in like a rubber suit and it's just hard to move but he's definitely keeping that old bit and i have to say um mad mad shout out to delarco you are coming back real strong man and uh it's great to see there's uh, some ideas of a deep research of Romulan myth and this XB or a uh, ex Borg, Ramda. Uh, he was interested in her abilities and um, he's interested in in what uh, Soji can do here. And I wonder if he knows she might be a synth or something. There's also a concept of a shared mythical framework that they're trying to use to help the Romulans who are being assimilated uh, and then un assimilated seems like they really kind of mess things up um, and uh, do do quite a bit of problems and, and cause a lot of trouble for both the uh, the Borg uh, and also the uh, the Romulans when if they do get assimilated back so I'm hoping there's going to be more uh, to talk about there for sure now we have a Romulan assimilation post-assimilation happening and then at the exact same time midway through the show we have an attack on the chateau which honestly I was expecting um, we also find out uh, a nice little bit of uh, retcon delight that uh, northern Romulans are stubborn and they have those ridges whereas the southern don't so we've got a little bit of sort of soft cultural lines being drawn in the sand um, it's a very hor horrifying suicide pill it seems these members of the Tal Shiar or Jat Vash seem to have and it sounds like that uh, Ramda and this assassin know that Soji is the destroyer, which I think is interesting. So, yes, maybe the Romulans cause problems in Borg tech. It seems that it, the Borg tech messes Romulans up. Uh, and that could actually be an interesting thing where, of course, if we think about where the Romulan Star Empire um, is slash was situated, um, right next is the Delta Quadrant where the Borg would be. So it's almost kind of like maybe they're kind of like a natural barrier. Um, not to, not sure for sure, but the Shaynor was uh, Ramda's ship and it was lost. It was the last uh, ship assimilated before the Borg cube submatrix collapsed and it became the, sh the uh, I was going to say the shard, uh, it became the artifact. So that's interesting. We also learn about a place called Free Cloud. Um, all I can really say is uh, in my hometown where I grew up, um, there was a record store that uh, actually I went to quite a bit. And um, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was a record store and I think I got um, Velvet Underground uh, was actually the first record I got from there. But anyways, I won't be as cool as a Vulcan wearing sunglasses if I talk too much about that. So we also get to see uh, the Commandant, or not the Commandant, the uh, Commodore uh, O. She ends up showing up in the uh, in sunglasses, which again I find kind of interesting and weird. Maybe she's Mirror. Uh, who knows? 
And finally, we have a crew after Soji's mom shows us how an interesting program she is. Picard's crew uh, gets together. Soji falls asleep on the artifact and we end our show. So this is kind of where we've ended off. And I think that's uh, that's an interesting Picard maneuver. Our Our lovely crew. I love the way things are starting to look now, too, with these kind of HUD uh, displays and, and kind of holographic emissions and all that. technically probably could have been available a lot earlier, but um, no, I do think this is great. And honestly, like Star Trek tends to do, I think we've got some predictive technology here. People carrying around these things that suddenly appear, whoops, I hit the mic, Um, that that suddenly, you you know, you can, you can see like a screen and everything. It's very fascinating. Um, So let's, uh, let's have a chat with some of you folks. Uh, This is great. Ah, yes. What do I make of Michael Chabon's uh, Instagram post? Uh, Arend, I actually have a whole conversation about that. So bear with me. I'm going to I'm going to take it in a slightly personal direction on that one. But um, no, thank you for bringing that up. We are going to be talking about that later. And if you don't hear from me, remind me. So nice to see you again, Arend. Always nice to see you. Hey, Thad. Thad Hate says, interestingly, Soji's mom was played by a different actress than Daj's mom. I thought so, but I wasn't terribly sure. But uh, that's an interesting point. It's sort of like she's the um, like the Jigglypuff. Or no, um, what's the animal that makes them? What's the Pokemon that makes them sleep? I think it might be the Jigglypuff. Um, yeah, that's basically how she's working right now. Is uh, She's kind of like a Pokemon. Um Yes, I agree, Helen Reed. Uh, I love Laris and Jabin so much. They had that house wired for sound. <laughs> There's a gun under everything. I was I was afraid they were going to whip a gun out of the Earl Grey pot on that one. So that was uh, that was pretty good. Let's see any other comments coming up. There's lots of people coming in. Jackie looks like she's got something to say here. How's it going, Jackie Hackney? Nice to see you on the after show. I noticed when Neville Page was talking about doing the Romulan eyebrows, they were showing various Romulans and Commodore. O. did they give something away? Well, I do have to say with Commodore being, O. When I saw her with those sunglasses, I thought she was more Commodore. Oh, my. But um, yeah, no, I wonder if there is going to be anything to that or if they did give something away um it is nice seeing romulans just a lot more it's it's wonderful to get to see how they all um you know those little bits about the door you know how there's a false door in every romulan house there's you know a couple sayings that we're getting to understand that is romulan as well specifically so i think it's fantastic that we are getting all of this extra orientation to the uh to the Romulan former star empire, in this case, the, uh, the free state. So Picard mover, I think maneuver, we can call a day to, because I do want to get into no pips, no problem, which again has a much better uh, title card than I can do. And I'm not going to take any pips off because right now I'd have to peel it off. And Anovos did such a good job here, right? So let's go to no pips, no problem. Of course, we will be experiencing Picard in different realms than Starfleet. Starfleet, he is no longer a member. So how will his actions and attitudes change? Let's explore new dimensions as we get into this. So first thing I want to talk about is post Starfleet, uh, in, in Raffi and Picard, their relationship did not continue after Starfleet. And I really do think that it broke. Um, I really do think that it broke both of their hearts in, in their own sort of way. And I find it interesting that they talk, you know, there's fragments 
that keeps showing up a lot. And I think Picard is a man of many fragments and Rafi is one of his fragments. And it's interesting that they plopped her down right at the Vasquez rocks and there's these rock fragments everywhere. And then obviously in the opening music, which again is just candy to listen to and to watch, there's all these fragments everywhere. So I do, I do get the imagery and really appreciate that um, where they decided to put it. So Rafi of, um, Initially, when her life takes that turn after leaving Starfleet, Rafi talks a lot about stratification in a society that is said to have done away with it. So I think, and and Arend, I think this might actually kind of enter into what I'm talking about here in terms of what Michael Chabon has said. I think that though basic needs are met in the world of Picard, even 400 years in the future, there appears to be layers of privilege. I actually think this is a reasonable and I, th- I actually think this is reasonable. And I think that it's unfortunately somewhat accurate of a time frame. If we ourselves did away with intolerance and fears, Picard said, um, tomorrow, if we managed to enter into a post scarcity environment now, which I mean, we can argue the merits of whether that's possible or not, dependent on the economic framework we adopt. Um, I do think that there is a conceit that we all had, and I was there uh, in the 90s to the utopia that we saw of TNG, that now both in our world and in the world of Trek, um, it feels that barbarism and terrible things are at the heels uh, of every step we take. For people to be upset that Starfleet isn't utopia, um, the utopia that they remembered, that is, is sort of akin to being upset that all of the things we were warned about, forever wars, climate change, rise of fascism, uh, that, that appeared to be in our history or in our distant future that a cartoon with a mullet, Captain Captain Planet was telling us about. Um, these are all becoming major threats now. So I guess the point here is that there is one of these two things you can do something about and one you can't. Um, if you don't like the lack of utopia that you see in Star Trek Picard, I feel bad for you. But if you maybe want to see more about the utopia that we could be working toward rather than working away from in our real world, then maybe we can act in those directions. So a little bit of a Politrex bit to you, but I'm going to continue. Uh, Rafi admits to struggling with addiction and depression, something that took more than 400 years to develop. And I honestly think that it'll take more than 400 years to disappear. Um, Addictions, depressions, they are all characteristics of the human story. And we all experience certain levels of it. It's how we manage it. So Starfleet and the United Federation of Planets, I think sometimes comes off as the Superman of Star Trek that we think both omnipotent and sometimes we scoff at the absurdity of something being so noble and great, but we lose a great amount of sleep when either one shows weakness. Picard says that he didn't, or Rafi says that she didn't say hello to Picard or sorry. She says that Picard didn't say hello to her. And it looks like Picard and Rafi don't know how to create a new relationship. And Picard also feels really bad when Rafi tells him that she has lost her security clearance. That doesn't sound very huge, but this wasn't a job she lost. She's in a post-scarcity world, and the one thing about a post-scarcity world is, I think, people will be able to pursue their passions more easily. Hence, the careers they have will actualize them thoroughly. So, Rafi had all of that stripped away from her. Her reason to exist was taken from her and it appears she was shunned and therefore all she had was her basic needs. And that was, I think how she was able to manage the, the, the sadness and the despair and possibly the addiction that she went through. So I do think that we've seen 
elements of PTSD. We've seen elements of of these kind of broken bits and stuff like that in Star Trek. I mean, as far back as some of the TOS movies, obviously into um, into the TNG, and then finally, obviously, I think the biggest one for me is it's only a paper moon with uh, with uh, uh, Deep Space Nine uh, Nog and uh, Mister. Uh, Jimmy Darren, which I'm, yeah, Vic, there we are, Vic Fontaine. It's, uh, we've done it before and we've seen it before. And actually, uh, Brian Yates mentions that uh, we saw depression and PTSD in Voyager. You're absolutely right. And I forgot about that. So we're not covering new ground, I don't think, but I think we're exploring a new dimension, not the, um, not the as man- manageable things, right? Snakeweed, I don't know what its properties are. I don't know what it does. I don't know if it's if it's a psychedelic or if it's a depressant or what. But in this case, um, I think it's interesting that we're exploring this. And I don't think it's outside of the realm of reality. Next piece that I want to talk about in No Pips, No Problem is how do you build a crew if you don't have a captain? And how do you be a captain if you don't have a crew? Well, it looks like Rios and Picard have found each other right in time. Um, I find it's interesting that Rios has more than one hologram on the ship. Um, the uh, the med guy, like the medical guy, is a Brit, but the uh, the other one is Irish. Um, and then Rios himself is Spanish, which I think is interesting. So I think what we have here, in fact, is a codependent relationship that Rios has with his AI. Um, And it being sentient, it's kind of maybe developed a codependent relationship with him. And it does it in many forms, it seems. Um, It it does almost sort of smack of of seeing the world through a very different lens. Um, And I can sort of see elements of Rios' personality coming through. Um, He's lost his captain in his place in Starfleet, and so Rios again, is kind of like a planet out of orbit and out comes his insecurities, right? I find the EMH is making him feel better by being, uh, for lack of a better term, a mincing little punching bag, whereas the ENH seems to be getting him where he's going. Even if he wants to resist, he knows what he truly wants to make himself feel like himself again. But I wonder if it's going to push him into ambitious territory. So that could be interesting. I wonder if maybe the emergency medical hologram is what keeps him out of Starfleet and the ENH is working so that he doesn't need them any longer. But either way, at the Chateau, we see Picard looking at a shooting star after he's spoken with Rios. It's true. Rios wants a captain and Picard wants a crew. And when Picard smells harvest time, and earlier he was saying to Rios that uh, he smells like Starfleet, uh, I can't imagine any better way to say that it's uh, it's harvest time for sure. Um, which is interesting. And then also, yes, depends on him not to turn them off all the time. Yes. I think shutting off and turning on the, um, the, the holograms at, at his whim is also very much part of his relationship that he has with them. It's a, it's definitely a form of control that Rios really likes. So I think we've got some characters with maybe more texture than I could have imagined we would get right away. I think it's, uh, again, it's indicative of, of the type of television we have. Of course, we would get characters that would have been this strong earlier. But in this case, I just find in this iteration of Star Trek, what we have is deep characters showing their inner selves very, very quickly. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's a little jarring. Who knows? Well, I'm moving into the Stargazer now, but I'm moving into it 
with still talking a bit about uh, no pips, no problems. So Dan, figure that one out. Sorry. We're going to go into the Stargazer and I am going to introduce our guest for today. I'm very excited um, that, uh, that, that we have this possibility to uh, get some people on the show from time to time. And who knows, um, I will be open to people doing um, different, different takes and stuff like that. And I want to create this uh, more like a listener driven podcast as well. So seeing everybody saying stuff while I talk is, uh, is something really great. And uh, maybe even the, the, those of you who show up, we can talk more and get you on a lot more. So in the Stargazer, we, we look at Picard's past. We look at Picard's future. What we tend to do with that as well is um, punt a little bit more on some of the elements of what we saw. Now, if you haven't noticed, I've kept a pretty fair distance away from talking about Starfleet specifically, and my take is that of a civilian. So I thought, who better to uh, get on the show than a dear friend of mine who uh, is the host of Trek Profiles. He is Vegas uh, uh, Vegas, uh, resident, I guess, a New York native, um, and he has shown me the greatest pizza I've ever eaten in my life. His name is Mr. John Kerkorian. John, welcome to the show. Hey everybody! What a pleasure to be with you, Barry. It's uh, I, you know, it, it's really great to be with you and helping you launch this uh, third installment of your new show. And yeah. I'm excited to to talk with you about it. You know, so just let me know where you want to get started, and, yeah. and let's get into it. Well, th- I think the the number one reason why we have you here, John, is my internet drops a lot. So uh, <laughs> if I disappear, you're on the hook. So uh, this actually works out very very well. Um, so if I just vanish suddenly, you know, just pick the show up, uh, carry it a couple yards down. Down the line and I'll, uh, I'll pick it up for you. So you wanted to come on to talk to me a little bit about Starfleet and maybe some perceptions of Starfleet um, and uh, the United Federation of Planets and maybe this utopia that we seem to, to have. And I actually don't know what direction you want to go with that. So I'm going to say with yeah. the Stargazer, we're looking at Starfleet as we have seen it in previous iterations. Um, and to now, yes, Maria says, John, Maria, uh, Maria, Maria, Maria Kravchuk, nice to see you. So John, what about Starfleet? And Thad, Thad hates says hi too. Hi Thad. I, I can see the chat. So I, I see all you guys and it's, it's a wonderful, it's just great to be here with you all. Um, and I apologize for my voice. I was at a hockey game the other night screaming my head off. So my, uh, my voice isn't so great. So I'm not sick or anything, just little, little, uh, a little dried out here. So yeah, I, when I was watching the show, especially as I was rewatching it in preparation for coming on to, to talk with you today, there's a couple things that really jumped out at me. And it's that in the show, and I mean in Star Trek more broadly, they often conflate Starfleet with the Federation. And these two things are not the same. And it seems that that in a lot of elements of the show, we have Starfleet making decisions which don't seem to me to be the kind of decisions that that, that organization should be making. Uh, as, as an example, we have Starfleet uh, deciding to, to pack up and move uh, a bunch of people at, at various points, right? We have evacuations, and that seems like much more of a Starfleet than a Federation decision in a couple episodes. And keeping it just to Picard, we have a moment at at Starfleet headquarters, and it even says so on the screen in the flashback sequence when Picard goes back and you have that scene with Rafi outside where it's like, you know, were they hard on you? He's at Starfleet. He's not at a Federation building. 
And he says in the opening episode, Starfleet isn't what it was. Well, it wouldn't have been a Starfleet decision to rescue the Romulans. That would have been with the Federation Council or the president or some executive body that was in the government. Hmm. It doesn't seem to me to be a military decision. And I'm not saying Starfleet is the military, but it's the closest thing they have. Um, And so he's presenting to a bunch of admirals and they're making the call Um, and they're not elected by anybody. They're not, they're not accountable to the people. Um, I, I don't know what kind of utopia Star Trek was accustomed to, we accustomed in our minds to thinking it was, but, uh, it's certainly not one that, that makes sense to me in a lot of ways. And just to go back to TOS, which I love right here, you can see, uh, how many times in TOS do we see miners or settlers who choose to leave the paradise of the Federation to go, go on to some new world, right? I mean, it was so fantastic. I, I find it hard to square that circle that if everything is so utopian that the people want to go do something else and go live on another planet, right. And get away from it all. And, you know, live like they did on say this side of paradise in a much more um, rustic environment. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we see that repeatedly. Uh, we, if you go back to devil in the dark, you know, there, there's these miners living on, was it Janus six, Janus five, Janus six, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're living underground, you know, in sort of this gritty environment. I mean, that doesn't seem like super glamorous work to me. So um, it, it I, I think we have to, sort of separate this idea of a post scarcity environment from a utopia. I think it has utopian elements, but I I'm almost wondering if we've sort of sold ourselves as fans and watchers of the show on the idea that, that star Trek is a utopia based on things we hear outside of the screen, as opposed to what we see inside. Cause when you look inside the screen, there's some elements that just don't look very good to me. Um, no, but I'm, I'm happy to be disabused of this notion. <laughs> well, actually, this is something that that I feel like I'd kind of brought up earlier, and I think it might be part of, uh, I think it's an extension. It's not a direct reply to what uh, Michael Chavon sort of said, that, you know, societies aren't perfect. And we do tend to look at the future with these rose-colored glasses. But I think we have to understand that the people in the past who we have come from had a living to keep first of all and i think second of all understanding that the image and the vision of what we have in the future is not going to be anything like what we would understand and if it is something that we don't like i think it's something that we can talk about and you're absolutely right when we go back to the tos movies right like um wrath of khan and so on we see a council right um I don't see one here. And yeah, if admirals are making these sort of executive decisions in the, like maybe in like a time of peril or something like that, it does worry me in the sense that what the heck happened to the Federation Senate? Um, as I understood, the Federation constitution is very close to the American constitution and the UN uh, charter. They kind of have like intermingling bits to it, but yeah, there's, there's different layers and sections and maybe either for um, some deeper thing they want to show to us or, it could just be rushed writing one or the other. Um, either way, this is the reality now. Starfleet made the decision, not the United Federation of Planets. And it's funny, actually, I was writing that this morning when I was finishing off some notes, John, and I realized that I was making a distinction between the UFP and the, and Starfleet. And that's where I was kind of like, you know, could 
could Picard have actually gotten an armada going, even if 14 planets in the Federation said no? I just, the whole Dunkirk thing really, really kind of makes sense to me now that he was going to be like, no, we'll just get anyone with a boat um, to go and help. And that's precisely what happened at the Battle of Dunkirk um, a long, long time ago during the start of the Second World War. Kirk Schwinn says, I agree with John. We only see, we've only seen a small sliver of the world. And absolutely right. Like, Maybe it's funny, and and maybe this could could tie into it a bit. We're seeing that Romulans are not a monoculture anymore, and mm-hmm. that's something that's a little bit unprecedented. They seemed very monocultural for a long time. Uh, we've seen that with a couple of different species now in Star Trek. Maybe we're realizing that humans aren't monocultural either. Yeah, and you know you have to keep in mind that the people that we've been seeing on the show in TOS and TNG, uh, and even in Deep Space Nine to a large degree, we we see people who are in Starfleet doing a very certain kind of thing. It's like look trying to understand the world by looking through a keyhole. You can see certain things very clearly, and certain things just you have absolute clarity about what's going on. But there's whole portions of what's going on that are hidden from you. And I seem to recall, it's either TOS or TNG in the writer's Bible. It actually says that we're not going to go to Earth very much. And if we do, we're going to go there and get out. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. And we don't want to spend a lot of time dealing with what's going on outside of our characters on the ship, you know, with their adventures, right? So I think in all of TOS, you only saw inside of one civilian person's apartment, Right. That was, uh, I think, in Conscience of the King, they go down and they're inside someone's apartment for a very brief period of time. But everything else is on uh, is on uh, uh, is on ships or on star bases or on you know deserted planets uh, or, or other spaceships of different kinds. So we've not really been told about what it is really like to be a Federation citizen who is not in Starfleet and what life is like. And, you know, these are questions that I think fans have wrestled with, right? I mean, someone says, well, how does someone get an apartment, right? Who decides that that Picard gets to live in the fantastic chateau and everybody else, you know, that and Rafi has to live in a trailer in the middle of the desert, right? How how is that arbitrated? How is it arbitrated who gets to go to Risa today uh, or, you know, Argelius or wherever? And so um, I, I think there's large parts of understanding what it is to live in the UFP that we don't fully understand. Yeah. And it looks like this show is going to give us some of that. And we're getting a little bit of that right now. And uh, I think it's probably unsettling because it's really the first time we've been shown a lot of this stuff in any version of Star Trek. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's a, that's a going boldly, right? We are, we are now having to, uh, to find ourselves in very uncharted terrain. And that is, you know, your, your work a day, uh, uh, member of the United Federation of Planets. Uh, Thad Haight brought up a point here, um, that, uh, he says that they mentioned that several UFP members threatened to withdraw, which at least implies to me that there was a meeting of the council. That's right, Thad. And I agree with you, but also it makes me worried also that, to to do a rescue mission uh, 14 planets saw it fit to resign rather than like conscientiously object like if you think about something happening in the united nations there are times where some of some of the i think 192 or something like that countries they will say no we're not going to participate in that like they still have a certain level of autonomy so for even being a part of it um to to leave the un i mean that that would be that that's quite the that's quite the drastic sort of thing to try to push yourself toward. Um, so that's just one thing. But back to just society and how it would come together, I think that's maybe one thing. I'm a big proponent for making sure that 
as many people as possible have their basic needs met. But to think for one microsecond that that would eradicate all contradiction within a culture, it would cause, you know, uh, you know, a perfect flourishing of the human spirit. I mean, that's, that's, that's idealism. That's not good. Um, you know, the more we move towards post scarcity, I think the better we will be. And I mean, I'm not going to, I don't think any of us are going to argue that the, the plentifulness that we have had since, you know, say like middle ages or something is, you know, it's nothing to, to sneeze at, but to say that we've overcome all of our differences in 400 years, I don't know. It's kind of a tall order because we haven't in the last, you know, couple hundred thousand. So I'm not terribly sure if if we can uh, do a nice sort of race to the finish in that respect. So who knows? Um, I think that when we see Starfleet acting in this very heavy handed way, I think it also shows that Starfleet itself. And as you said, you, you, you hesitated to call it a military organization. And I do think you're right. I think it's not only that. Mm hmm. Maybe it's also a social strata. What do you think? Well, it, it's obvious that that Starfleet is a self-selected group of people, right? I mean, they only allow certain people in a Starfleet. And so we've only been seeing a certain kind of type of character. And that's true in all societies, right? If you go into... If you go into academia, you're going to meet a certain type of person in society that is not the same people that you meet if you go hang out at a at a at a McDonald's in the break room. And that's not the same group of people that you're going to meet if you go into a military barracks, right? And so so much of the Star Trek that we've seen has been through that one prism. I'm now questioning as to whether or not uh whether or not we've ever gotten a full picture of what the Federation is even like. Uh, because we've only seen it through this one lens. And so I think that's one of the interesting things that we might get from this particular show is including people like uh, Dr. Gerardi. Uh, we might get a little bit more of a of, a, of another point of view uh, because she really is a total civilian. And so she might give us a little taste of that on board the ship with Picard. Uh, mm -hmm. By the way, I have a conspiracy theory I, I want to hit you with if you have a, if you want to get into it in a second, but Ooh, yeah, uh, about her. But um, I, I think that we're going to get to see Romulan society in a much more uh, full featured way. I think it's, I think it's really great that they're showing the, the full diversity of all the kinds of people that you're going to get in the show. And I, th I think it's fantastic, but I still am very hung up on this idea that Starfleet seems to be making an awful lot of calls that, that seem above their pay grade. So I will be watching uh, and judging and uh, being very thoughtful about uh, where they go with this stuff. We'll see. I fully agree, uh, actually, and and I wish I had more to argue about in that respect because <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, no, that that is something, and and making that delineation and distinction between different levels of government is something that I think we as citizens today, you know, if if you didn't notice that, dear listener and dear viewer, um, keep that in mind for different levels of government and what they are actually um, responsible for and to whom they are responsible as well. Um, a lot of choices that that can get made and uh, that happen sort of within that web of of how governments are put together. So there's our little Politrex moment. Uh, Shashank will probably carry more of that over when he talks about this episode on Politrex. So do tune in for that. And I'm sure he'll have a, a continuing take in some case or in some uh, way, shape or form. But uh, I want to go back here. Um, Arend mentioned something that I, I want to talk here. Almost every belligerent government has had a military that wielded far more power than civilian governments. Hopefully, S Starfleet didn't have a soft coup that granted them emergency powers. 
Uh, that's pretty much a nailed it on the head. If this is really a planned piece of the story, uh, Arend, I think you've, you've kind of hit that and you're right. Um, typically these kind of soft coups and, and moments can happen when people are at their most complacent, right? Um, Starfleet at that point had defeated the dominion. They have mm-hmm. defeated all of their enemies. And if they hadn't defeated them, they'd made them their friends. Then, you know, They've managed to, you know, keep the Borg at bay. And then not only did they beat the Romulans, the Romulans, unfortunately, had their planet destroyed. So most of most of the, the uh, UFP's threats are, are pretty much nullified to some degree, with the exception, I think, of the Borg themselves. And maybe um, what's that one fluidic space alien from Voyager? Oh, uh, species uh, 8675309. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're fun. 8675. Very nice. Ooh. Oh no. Just so you know, Dan Garcia is shaking his head very violently. I think he's in danger. Uh, <laughs> anyways, yes. So maybe in this case, victory sort of defeated Starfleet a little bit, and some people with their hands in the cookie jar realized that they were irrelevant. So here they are. Um, maybe maybe they've just taken power because power is a thing that sometimes people want. What? It's certainly possible. Uh, it's just it's. Uh, but I think that Star that that Star Trek has done this quite repeatedly, mm-hmm. in that if you look at a lot of the the famous admirals or the people that are associated with them and the stories that they have, it it seems a lot of times that it's driven by Starfleet, right, to do these things, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, it's very weird to me. And I've noticed very carefully that in Picard, especially, he makes very few references to the Federation. He consistently talks about the fact that it's Starfleet this, Starfleet that. You know, I talked to Starfleet and I was very upset. I left Starfleet and mm-hmm. there's no, he, he talks about Starfleet ideals and all that. And and I don't know if it's a choice that the show is doing it that way. If, if that's meant yeah. to, to be a, a clue of some kind, I, I don't really know, but it's uh, something that sort of has me wrapped around the axle a little bit because we have on two occasions, we, we have the unnamed Afrosian president in Star Trek. What is it? Star Trek six. And then we have uh, Jerish Inyo in home front deep space nine. We actually see there is a civilian president who's sort of in charge of things. Yeah, Kurtwood uh, Smith. He was the first yes, president. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, yeah, yes red, yeah. red, red foreman from that 70s show is the first Starfleet fleet president, everybody. So put that in your pocket. That's right. But he's not named in the movie. Uh, no. there's, they've given him names. And some of the other things and some of the novels and stuff, but he's, he's the unnamed Federation president, as far as we know, yeah. uh, officially, but, uh, but we see that he is making calls, uh, at, at certain points. Uh, but then we, Starfleet is off doing the wrong thing. It's very strange. And I, I, it was also weird to me that, um, it's also strange to me that that Rafi also accepted that, right? Like, why wasn't it? Well, we'll go right to the Federation council. You know, oh, Starfleet made the call. Well, we'll go around them, right? Yeah. We'll go to the Federation yeah. Council or, or or something like that. But they didn't do that. They just said, oh, Starfleet said it. So therefore, that'll be it. It was just something I can't quite get my brain wrapped around yet, but we shall see. Hey, no. can I, I, I know you got to uh, go on to a thing and you want to talk about something else here in a minute, but I just want to hit you up with one quick thing on another topic and just get your, your snap reaction to yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Dr. Girardi shows up the same time as the Romulan attack, Right. And she she shoots that that one guy uh, in the back, and then at the end of the episode, uh, Rafi says, "You brought this woman on board our top secret mission, and you didn't even let me run the most basic security check." And he's like, "No, no, she's fine. I don't know if they're laying down a marker for something later, 
but it did make me uh, uh, it did make me go to yellow alert on that. So I, I don't know if this is going to mean anything or not because I, I think uh, Allison Pill is fabulous, and I mm-hmm. want her to be a good a good character and not a bad character. But but now I'm wondering. So what's your what's your hot take on that, Barry? Well, now I'm wondering because yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I wrote actually. I, if I can find my episode notes, I didn't actually put that in there specifically, but I actually mention. Hold on, here we are, Ramda, back to Chateau, blah blah blah. Oh, I can't find it. Anyway, I mentioned that Doctor Gerardi's entrance was kind of. Oh yeah, yeah. Doctor's entrance entrance seemed a tad contrived. I don't know why she's there, but surely she knows more about the Romulans. LOL. Um, so yeah, no, I I didn't put that in, but that makes perfect sense. That that maybe she's more than meets the eye. That uh, I wonder if she's the plant that the uh, the siblings, the Romulan siblings, were talking about. Uh, who knows? Like I. I actually, this is as far as I've seen, so I, I can't say anymore. Oh my gosh, this is this is scary to to think that that because I was really starting to think like, yeah, cool, Doctor Gerardi, right on. She's going to be so cool and kind of be that kind of comic reliefy, whatever. But yeah, maybe she's going to end up being even even more uh, dangerous than uh, we would have ever even thought. So very healthy. Well, let's might, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, let's have a look here with you here. There's a couple of comments by Marina uh, specifically. Um, Marina Kravchuk says, where did Gerardi get that Romulan disruptor? Yo, man. Oh, no. See, it's very suspicious. (laughs) By that time, I think Shabin secured the weapons from the attackers. Or maybe Starfleet has threatened or bribed her. Jackie Hackney, that's correct. Chris Hackney, or she's Section 31. I have goosebumps all all around my back right now and and all i know is is i have a a a, a cutaway of the enterprise d behind me so that's enough to give you goosebumps but more than normal so goodness what do you think of that what do you think starfleet's threatened her she's section 31 or she is a plant of the tal shiar of some kind what do you think john it it could be any combination i don't think we have enough information to even really go at this point. It's all just wild guesses, but uh, I certainly think any of those could be possible. Uh, It could also be a wild coincidence, but it seems like they're writing a much tighter show than that. Uh, So that would be surprising to me, but you know, maybe O offered her a deal and said, you know, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're going to do, you know, and you're going to be a part of it and here's how you're going to operate. And, you know, she might be going along with it for now. Uh, We'll see. Although yeah. I want to point out that, you know, she is, we are led to believe an actual scientist and, and not a trained operative. So I don't know how well she could keep up the front. We'll see. It's an eminence front to put on. I tell you. Well, John, thank you so much for coming. Um, actually, while I, uh, while I talk your uh, maybe we'll pop you back in or out, but if your voice is giving you trouble, but one way or another, it's wonderful to have you here, John, and you are my first non-Trek Geek Network guest, so uh, that's pretty awesome. So I'm thank, you for, thank, you, thank you for joining us, and live long and prosper, Mr. Kikorian. Here we live are. long and prosper, everybody. <laughs> well, I would be remiss, absolutely remiss, to not talk about the wonderful group of folks down at Fansets. Of course, we are sponsored by Fansets, as is every show on the Trek Geeks Network. And for listening to my lovely show, Picard Live, mine and Dan's uh, lovely show, that is, we uh, we would give you a 15% off discount 
discount code. Just say the fine folks at Picard Live sent you. So if you decide to check out the Fansets website, you will find tons and tons of Star Trek things, but they've got um, products all the way from Alien to DC, different franchises showing up quite often, and a lot of very creative and interesting pins coming out all of the time that I'm always very excited to see. And if you liked that Picard um, winery, the the, the actual the crest of the family, that is a Fansets pin. Um, which is really, really wonderful. So it's great to see the fine folks at uh, Fansets doing such a fine job. So if you are deciding to pick up some lovely swag from the Fansets website, and you put in your things into the cart, and when you check out, just go to the little... Um, discount offer code area and type in Picard Live. That is P-I-C-A-R-D-L-I-V-E at checkout and you will get 15% off. So Fansets, thank you so much for sponsoring us. We love your support and we love what you guys do. Well, I think I am going to jump into a couple of supplementals before we get into some major pieces of these lovely comments that everyone has been talking about. Maybe see if uh, Arend is happy with what I had to say about um, kind of what Michael Chabon had to say. I don't necessarily want to dive directly in because I think the man speaks for himself in a lot of cases. And um, I don't know if we have to weigh in exactly on that because, like I said, I think he made his point. But uh, a couple of supplementals that I think might be uh, interesting just to touch on, first of all, is the work John DeLarco is doing. Um, he walks like a Borg. He's moving like a Borg. I wonder if he is going to be taking maybe a piece from the way the Borg Queen was portrayed, that um, he seems like he's got a lot of control in a lot of places. And as much as I do think that he has something of a humanitarian bent to, I think, what he's trying to do or maybe something along those lines i do worry that perhaps he is somehow going to end up being a nefarious character um he's playing really strong right now and i find he is probably the least trustable character and he's the one who i can't quite pinpoint the uh, the romulan siblings i'm going to be honest i find their whole back and forth kind of like the bad guys from sailor moon a little bit the original ones way way back in the day and yeah i watched sailor moon so fight me but uh i don't know their, their back and forth is a little is a little weak comparatively to i think what john delarco is managing to do and again nothing against the actors who are doing it and you know it, it, it could be in the producing that it's that it's being worked out I think that the music is really good as well. Actually, I just have to quickly touch on that, um, especially the scenes on the Borg cube when you've got these amazing bits of the cube moving throughout the hallways as people are going through it. It's The cube itself is doing work, it seems. But the music, uh, very 60s, especially after um, or when the, brother, uh, the brothers and sisters meet uh, and everything like that. It's, it's very, very 1960s kind of string happening. The angle of the camera with like the red fan turning is very very 60s as well so i did find some issues with the producing that happened in the last episode but i really think the the producing is back up to what i like though when you look at that opening credit scene there are a lot of producers so i can see how things get a little bit busy from time to time but that's just me last little bit here and this is a question that i want to ask everyone and uh while i go through the comments this can sort of echo out um is picard the TV show, is it positive? Are we seeing something positive coming from this? Do we, do we feel positivity from it? Um, 
for myself, and I have to speak for myself in this case, I do find that that where this is going is it's going to be something very positive. And I think more of a redemptive sort of sense. I don't think we're going to be left with, uh, with a, a bad taste in our mouth uh, for this one, uh, especially uh, because I think what Picard is trying to do is it's trying to reestablish and sort of reclaim hope, but maybe internalize that hope more than externalize it to some degree. But maybe that is, maybe that isn't. I really want to get onto some comments because you guys have been talking and talking and talking and I'm not giving you hardly enough. So I am going to go up to uh, sort of around the 646 mark, Dan, just so you're aware. Uh, I'm floating around where Jim Stoffel uh, there. So let's start here. Comrade, uh, uh, Commodore O is section 31 is what Jim Stoffel has to say. I'm not terribly sure if they're going to go in the section 31 direction in this case, to be perfectly honest, I think they're going to go differently. I also really hope she isn't mirror. Um, I hope she is just a bad moral in this respect, uh, mainly because I think we've seen a lot of section 31 and a lot of the mirror universe discovery is handling that really well. And though it's very clear that the next season of discovery will not be taking place in a time when we would see either of those things. Um, I do think that um, what we can, well, maybe we'll see a really nice mirror universe where discovery is headed. Who knows? But um, I do think that they're doing a fine job and Picard can kind of do its own thing. Um, Marina says specifically after that, Marina Kravchuk says, uh, threatened by O, who is not a Vulcan. Yeah, I mean, she is really not passing off as as a Vulcan very well right now. She seems very much driven by ambition and her anger. And uh, I don't know if a Vulcan would threaten. Uh, it just does not seem like something a Vulcan would necessarily do. Um, I mean, maybe she uh, maybe she didn't go through Colin R, but um, I just don't see that being a possibility. One other quick thing I'm going to just say as well with um, with the Romulans and being that they have a Vulcan connection, this is something that I want to just sort of throw it into the internet as well. And like I said, send me messages on Twitter. Uh, we can bring some stuff up in Camp Kittimer as well. Shout out to Camp Kittimer. You guys are awesome. Um, what if, and just hear me out, um, and I've lost my train of thought lovely as well, um, Shoot. Yeah. No, I've completely lost my train of thought. Live television, everybody. Um, we were just talking, Hey, someone help me out. I was just about to throw a really cool thing out into the universe to see if you guys would be able to answer the question and I've lost it. Um, that's okay. It'll come back. Here we are. I found it. It's in my brain. The Romulans have a common ancestry with the Vulcans, and I'm wondering if it has something to do with what the Romulans would have as a Catra, like the Vulcans have a Catra, Maybe the maybe the Romulans do as well. And maybe that is what is messing things up for the Borg because they're not really soulful kinds of uh, aliens, right? They, they aren't they aren't really like that. So I do wonder if maybe that's a connection that we could end up getting. Oh, no. Bill Smith says, great conversation, everyone. I wish I could have joined you all tonight. Yeah, he was probably busy sipping jippers on a beach or something. Nice to see you, Bill. I'm going to go back to um, the 645 mark or 646 mark here um, and just see there's a couple other points that I wanted to get. Um, first of all, here we are, Arend. I'm sure that they have uh, an allotment of dramatic deaths uh, to present on screen. Um I think that's a, a part of a conversation I wasn't uh, I wasn't privy to just yet. John Krikorian has commented in here. Hi there. Yes, I know that 
the F- Fed president in Star Trek Four, but he wasn't doing any hard political calls. The other two examples gave us Fed presidents making choices about stuff that falls into political decisions. And yes, I think the rescue of Romulus would be a political decision more than just purely a humanitarian one. So that is important. Jim Stoffel is laughing at me for watching. Oh no, he's not. He's thumbs upping me for Sailor Moon. So thank you very much. Yes. Uh, I always had a, a, a soft spot for Sailor Mars. She was pretty cool. Unfortunately, that's a little on the nose, isn't it? Too soon. Picard uh, in the series Mars is gone. I wonder Ooh, no, no. Well, that sucks. Anyways, moving on. Oh my goodness. All right, let's get into this. I asked a question. Is Picard positive jackie hatney says she believes that it is a very positive show well i would like to know what you guys find being the positive thing i will say that one of the positive elements is knowing that raffi and picard aren't okay and they need to work at being okay and they need to create some new normals between each other which i think is really really important if you think about friends who have to sort of recreate their friendship after a tragedy or a massive change in the circumstances of one friend's life We see this a lot, and I really hope that that's the case. Picard uh, wants to right a wrong. That is positive and hope for the future. Yeah, I think that's another really good piece of it is he sees an injustice that, you know, honestly, he could just sit back and ignore. He could he could have just done nothing about any of these things. I mean, Raph even says like he's in this like nice, you know, mahogany wooded uh, cabin place that looks really nice on a French vineyard. I mean, like I can think of worse ways to spend my day. And he's got a super cute dog that I really, really want to see more of. So uh, CBS, if you're out there, please put number one on more often. William Jackson, let's see what William Jackson has to say. Regardless of the state of the world, positivity is where you find it. Picard's journey from self-exile to new purposes is the positive for me. Very well said, William Jackson. Thank you very much for that point. And I think that's really well, well stated and far better than I could actually articulate it. You will always find bad things in the world you live in. And our outlook really will have a lot to do with how that pans out for us i mean perception equals reality and if you can count the good things along with knowing that the bad things have happened you can definitely uh definitely see things from a much better light and picard standing up for what he believes in yeah it's going to be difficult but uh i think he's doing the right thing let's see here a couple more points here Let's see. Thad Haight has a has uh, one here. Jean-Luc Picard himself is still the hero and has been all my life. The world may have changed, and so has Picard, but his ethics have not been compromised. Yeah, no, that that again is pretty much on the head. And though he's older, though he's you know seen a lot more, and though he doesn't have the same tools at his disposal, I think Picard is still very much a strong uh, representation of what is good and honorable. So yeah. I'm going to give another word to uh, Marina Krabchuk. I believe uh, it was mentioned in one of the interviews that number one turned out to be a bit more difficult to work with. So less canine presence. Oh, well, well, thank you for the update on that. But I will miss uh, number one if we don't see number one a little bit more. John Kikorian mentions here, I'm struggling a bit with Picard leaving Rafi alone for for, uh, with, uh, for the past 14 years after he brought her down with him in his resignation gambit. Yeah, I do think that's another thing. And Again, it's how it manifests, right? I think uh, Jean-Luc Picard crawled into quite the shell uh, after everything was done. And I think his Tal Shiar protectors were more than happy to uh, to keep that thing going. So I think there's something to that. And I think we'll we'll get a little bit more as to why Picard is just so, um, so cut off, uh, very much so. 
Well, we're coming up to our uh, our last little piece here on the on the show. I like to keep it at about an hour, as you folks know, because of course it's Sunday night and we all have Mondays coming up tomorrow. So, in the meantime, for uh, more great Star Trek discussion, check out the other podcasts on the. Pe- Trek Geeks podcast network found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even the Trek or even TrekGeeks.com. Check out the latest episode of uh, Trek Rewind. It is a delight. I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, there are some fun, fun little bits we've been really enjoying. I've been really enjoying listening to the delightful irreverence on Rewind. So keep up the good work, ladies. Plus, if you can't as- attend this uh, live stream on any given week, fret not. You can download the audio version of this podcast the next day just search for trek geeks picard live on your favorite podcasting platform and of course i would always love to give a shout out and i will to the band five-year mission who is giving us the beautiful music that you hear at the beginning in most of the trek geek shows you will hear the mellifluous tones of the uh fine band five-year mission so a couple last little bits uh showing up here i think we don't have to keep it right on an hour there's some uh other pieces that some people are saying. So I've had my quick shout outs, but I'm just going to give a few last little points here. The six fifty nine and seven o'clock uh, conversations here. Um, John Kikorian says, I'm struggling a bit with Picard leaving Rafi alone. We mentioned that Jackie responds. Depression can do that. Uh, I agree. Uh, John Kikorian says, yeah. And then he shows up asking for a big favor. No wonder she wasn't thrilled. I think that's also an excellent point. Jim Stoffel says Picard was still hurting from the loss of data. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really over that. And Jackie finally says, same, with showing up and asking to be a captain again. Yes, there is a lot that is riding on a lot of people's shoulders on this show. And I appreciate everyone, all you folks commenting on this. You make this uh, hour go by faster than I can ever imagine. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Picard Live. Love you all. And uh, we, oh, let's see here. Please mention for folks not to look at the soundtrack listing. There are spoilers. Thank you, Marina. I will put that on there. Marina Kravchuk says, don't listen to the soundtrack listing. There are spoilers. I will not be doing that myself then. So thank you so much. We'll end with that. And uh, we'll see you all this time next week, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific for Picard Live on the Trek Geeks Network. My name is Barry DeFord. Thank you so much for tuning in. Live long and prosper. <laughs>